All right, it's the digital side hug recorded from Dimples Deli. And uh, I've got a guy sitting beside me uh, named Steve Holiday. who, Steve, you're from Allen, Texas. Correct. And we were just talking about football in Texas. Yes. It is a real, it's a deal. It's just like Friday Night Lights, only worse. <laughs> <laughs> Even more emotional. <clears throat> uh, more drama. Um, Steve, tell us quickly who you are and why do I want you on this podcast? Uh, that's a great question. I wondered that myself when you asked me. Uh, I direct a ministry called Ultimate Escape. Ultimate Escape helps young people be equipped to pursue God's vision for sexuality. Uh, former youth minister and owner of two Rottweilers. Okay. All the important stuff. Uh, you also, you're married. I'm married. have four kids. <laughs> the Rottweilers made Holly, it into... Holly cannot listen to this podcast. <laughs> I love that. The Rottweilers made it in, and we'll, we, we're gonna—we're actually gonna talk about one of your Rottweilers later. Uh, let me explain real quick. The uh, listening audience is hearing ambiance from a local restaurant. So, uh, we're at Dimples Deli, which is in Brentwood, Tennessee. It's one of my favorite breakfast spots in the world, and and so we're uh, we're huddled a little closer to the microphone than normal. I'm wondering what people are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, you know, it's in perfect proximity for a side hug. I'm yeah. going to go ahead and, and do this now. Um, I, may get a, I may get a full-blown hug later. Steve, so before we hear more about Ultimate Escape, I'm going to, can I, can I jump right into some sure, fun, sure. get-to-know-me type questions? You, uh, tell us your, your four kids' names. Um, I, I had a few of them in my youth group, you know, years ago, so mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know some of them. But t- tell us who they are. Introduce them. Dexter, Michael, Savannah, and Griffin. Dexter, Michael, Savannah, and Griffin. Mm-hmm. And you guys used to live here. We did. Before that, you lived somewhere else. We're going to talk about your story a little bit because God mm-hmm. has moved you some. Um, but before we do that, let's let's kick on this fun music and, mm-hmm. and go for it. All right. Okay. So, Steve, right now, here's the question. The first question is, would you rather have to live through a Walking Dead-type zombie apocalypse or a 28 days later type rage virus epidemic infection situation? Um, that's a good question. I'm going to go with the zombie, the zombie the experience. Yeah. And talk us through that because the zombies never stop coming. You know, they won't die on their own mm-hmm. because they're obviously already dead. Uh, I guess they go slower. It sounds like a much more adventurous, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah the, the adrenaline rush of fighting through a war like that. Yeah. <laughs> Who is your favorite late night TV host and why? Uh, I have to confess, I never watch late night TV. Have you so ever I, watched? I, I don't night know TV? that I ever have. Like a, a whole episode. Really? Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, nope, just a bit of a piece here, but never watched a whole TV show. So you. Can you even name the current late night TV guys? Jimmy Fallon. Oh yeah, good. All right. Um, Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he's not your favorite, even though he's the only person. Currently uh, who's on the television. guy that does the the sing off competitions? You'll know, have a guest and they'll do a sing off uh, kind of. I don't know. Okay. I've I've, ne- I've never seen. I'm thinking. I that's don't watch Jimmy singing Fallon. shows. Okay. Well, my wife <laughs> loves. I think it's Jimmy Fallon because he does these sing-offs. Um, like he oh. did one with Terry Crews. Yeah, that's uh, probably Jimmy okay. Fallon. Then. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought you were talking about a television program called oh, no, The Sing Off. No. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon does a lot of that stuff. Okay. So that's probably Jimmy Fallon. Um, okay. Good. Well, we'll move on then. Um, what is your go-to comfort food? 
Again, this is Steve Holiday oh, of Ultimate Escape, your go-to comfort Well, food. right now it is peppermint M&Ms because I just discovered those at Target on this trip. And so I've now downed my second bag of peppermint <laughs> M&Ms in the last five days. Um, mint Oreos. Peppermint M&Ms. Peppermint and Christmas. Yeah. Okay. It's a Christmas thing. It's going to be a seasonal deal. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll no doubt load up about and 50 bags before we, the end of Christmas. So I, I take it from your answer that you don't object to to the Christmas season beginning this early. We're recording this podcast on November 11th. So Thanksgiving is still two and a half, three weeks away. They're already they're already serving Starbucks, you know, coffee in the Christmas cups. Which is good because that means the salted caramel hot chocolate is now available at Starbucks. You don't object to the Christmas season starting three and a half weeks before Thanksgiving. Is that what you're saying? From a food perspective, no, I don't object at all. From a theoretical perspective, yeah, I think they should wait till after Thanksgiving. Yes, they should. They should. Now, I'll agree. I, just like anybody else, want my peppermint mocha, Pepperidge Mm -hmm. Farms, you know, creamer for the coffee. But they now sell that year round. That is no longer a roll it out for Christmas kind of deal. It's too early for Christmas. But this is a get to know you lightning round, Steve. So let's keep going. Um, how old are you? Forty six. Forty six. So you were you were born in sixty eight. Mm-hmm. The worst year. Your worst year. What was it? Nineteen sixty nine. When you were. One and a half. I have no that idea. Was, that was a tough year. Um, yeah, there have been. Does a, one year stand out? Uh, there is a year back in there. You know, after Holly and I had kids, and uh, life was pretty tough um, for several years. Um, probably one of the worst around uh, 2002. 2002, best year. Um, probably 2000 and. Wow. Um, because that, that was when my recovery began. Yeah. But it also was probably one of the most uh, difficult years from a family perspective. So uh-huh. well, this, this two just, extremes in the same year. This just turned into city slickers. <laughs> Remember that moment in the movement where, you know, they're, they're having the best day, worst day? Mm-hmm. And Bruno Kirby right. says, you know, right. the worst day was the day I confronted my father. You know, it was the mm-hmm. best day, same day. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, that's really that. And, and obviously, your story is one of the things I want us to talk about. So, so we're going to get there. Um, okay, a couple of final questions. Mm-hmm. Holly, Holly's not feeling well. You're on your way home from work. You, you, where do you go and what do you buy to lift her spirits that you know is going to do the trick? Ooh, caught me off guard on that one. Um... There would have been a time when it was just pick up a case of Diet Dr. Pepper. Uh, but that's back several years ago, and she doesn't drink soft drinks anymore. Um, swing by Starbucks and get a salted caramel hot chocolate. Okay. That would probably do it. Or swing by Whole Foods and grab a, a bouquet of flowers. And either of those would definitely be a pick-me-up. Good. Well, Holly, we love you. Thank you for sharing Steve with us today uh, and for, for sharing him with, him with us and youth groups all over the country, you know, all the time like this. So, Steve, two last questions. There's a button in front of you. If you press the button, you lose feeling in your toes indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Let's just say for the rest of your life, no feeling in your toes. If you do not press the button, you lose the ability to smell. What do you do? Uh, I think I would probably keep my sense of smell and lose the feeling in the toes. Okay. 
You want to talk us through that, or you just sure? Smell is an integral part of being able to taste your food, and I'm a, if I'm a food lover, obviously. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're recording in Dimples, where we have just had an amazing breakfast, and food has been the running theme throughout yeah. this. Even even the zombie question, you know, you could make the case that food was was a big part of that too, um, especially if you've seen The Walking Dead. Anyway. Finally, uh, Morris Gregwire, Dr. Morris Gregwire of AskingCanBeFun.com gives us this question. What is the original retail value of the clothes you now do yard work in? Let's see. A pair of shorts was probably about $7.99. And the t-shirt would have been about the same amount. Uh, The shoes would have probably been $50, Fifty dollars, so okay. what we're seventy-five-ish, sixty-sixty-five, ninety-eight at include, this point. Include the whites, um, less than a hundred dollars. Less than a hundred. Less than a hundred. Okay, for the whole shebang. The whole, All right, yeah. good, good. Thank you, Doctor Gregwire. <laughs> good work, um, Steve. You told us that you're the founder uh, and executive director. Is that what you said? Founder of, and director of Ultimate Escape. Mm-hmm. Tell us that you you gave us a one sentence mission statement earlier. Basically. Uh, we exist to help young people be equipped to follow God's vision for sex. So you are a, a youth minister, in a sense, working with teenagers, helping them live into God's vision for what sex can be in their lives. Right. You used to be a youth minister. Do I remember that right, correctly? Correct. About 12 years of church-based youth ministry. Working in a congregation in Virginia? Mm-hmm. We did uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina. Part-time in Virginia for a couple of years. Yeah, all right, yeah. good. So I do remember that correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, you came and knocked on my door here in Brentwood about eight years ago, 2006, I think. Mm, right. Yeah. And just said, can I talk to the youth minister? And I was I was the only youth minister on staff at the time. And we sat down, and you, you told me why you're doing what you're doing. I wonder if for our podcast you could just tell us what made you decide to leave youth ministry which obviously you love teenagers you're still working right. with teenagers mm-hmm. um, what made you leave the I'm just gonna say the comfort of a, of a paid stable you know sort of congregational setting recognizing mm-hmm. that some some people listening are laughing right now <laughs> at the idea of a, of a you know a comfortable you know, stable pay paying position with a church I know that that not every church you know is is as you know is equally comfortable or stable or reliable or pays as well but but the point is mm-hmm. a regular paycheck from these right. churches and now you've got to raise all your own support you've got to try to get people to invite you in to come share you know your gift and expertise with them you spent years you know sort of preparing yourself what made you leave youth ministry for this ministry called Ultimate Escape? Uh, my mom probably would say midlife crisis. <laughs> uh, the serious answer to that is a um, combination of both my own personal struggle uh, with sexuality beginning at earliest memory. So by five and six, it was already there. Uh, and being that Christian teenager who desperately wants to please God, wants to do the right thing, and then there's this big secret part of life that nobody has a clue about that just is enormous shame and guilt and keeps me feeling very distant from God. Uh, so understanding that struggle and wanting to you know, be able to reach out and help kids who are in that struggle. Uh, and then the second thing is the um, 
just recognizing, you know, from my youth ministry background, you know, we saw so many kids as internet access was just coming along the scene and cell phones were just coming out and the whole sexting thing was on the front, you know, just the front end of that, uh, of that phenomenon. Uh, seeing kids who desperately needed help and we couldn't find anywhere that was focused on helping young people deal with addictive sexual behavior. So I was on the phone with um, Focus on the Family and Abilene Christian University and every uh, professional therapist that I knew that specializes or specialized in sexual addiction and the unanimous answer was nobody's out there doing that. And after reading the 40 Days of Purpose uh, or the the Purpose Driven Life and, and our church going through that 40 Days of Purpose study, uh, my prayer was, God, if there's something you've prepared me to do that's beyond youth ministry, uh, please help me see what that is. Now, I love my church. I love our kids you know, that I work with. I don't want to have to do anything different, but I want to be open to whatever God wants. And within literally a couple of weeks, the vision for this ministry happened. Uh, so long story short, I resigned my position with the church that we were working with in Greensboro, North Carolina. And spent two years in graduate school working on master's in counseling and getting some certification around uh, addictive sexual behavior. And the ultimate escape journey began. Steve was here at our church this weekend to do a presentation for teens and a presentation for parents, actually, and also a combination presentation. And one of the things that you said to parents in the, in, a, in the session that was only for parents was, take care of your own stuff. You know, mm-hmm. know, know your own sort of demons with regard to your sexual self uh, work on yourself become healthy so that that you can or at least you can at least know the landmines you know when your son or your daughter ends up someplace you know that, that it doesn't take you by surprise based on your own story uh, how did you go about getting healthy enough to lead a ministry that's that's trying to help others find sexual health in the spring of 2002, I was on a website for a ministry called Bethesda Workshops, which is based here in Nashville. Um, and I'd always had an interest in doing counseling, but had never um, never bitten the bullet and decided that I mean, it changed my life to be able to do this. Um, but I had enrolled in an online course and uh, then promptly dropped it about a week into it when it said something about a good counselor has to deal with their own baggage so they can be an effective counselor. So I just shut the book, literally shut the book, picked up the phone, called and withdrew from the class and had no idea why I did it. Was this a grad school class? Yeah, it was a This was the Bethesda course? No, no, this is a very first graduate school class. Counseling course. Counseling course, yeah. Uh, so, th- and that had been that was February, wow. and I'm on the phone with him in March. So, within the last four to six weeks, I had done that. Yeah. Uh, I stumbled across Bethesda's site, and there's a self-test on there. It's a sexual addiction screening tool, uh, the SAST. And so, I just you know started taking the uh, the test. Now, I had just talked to Marnie, the director. This is a funny story. Just talked to Marnie, the director of Bethesda, and said, you know, I'd like to be a counselor one day. I notice you allow. <laughs> Uh, therapist observers to come watch your workshop. Uh-huh. Could I come and watch your workshop? <laughs> she was very gracious. She said, uh, well, normally we wait till people actually have their degree right, before, right. before we do that. But if you, you decide you want to do that, you know, let us know. We might get, might be able to work something out. Hung up the phone. I'm still on their website. I find the self-test and I start answering the questions. And after about number eight, they're all yes. And it dawns on me, oh, this is what I've been dealing with because I'd never, I'd heard the term sexual addiction. Uh-huh. I'd seen some presenters talk about sexual addiction. I never put myself under that umbrella. Yeah. Uh, so for the first time in my life, I embraced the fact, okay, I am dealing with sexual addiction. I just always termed it as I got a battle with lust. 
So I finished the test. There were like 22, 23 questions, and all but two of mine were yeses. I looked down and said, you know, your score, it's at the top of the chart. You know, your score, you have a lot of uh, characteristics in common with people who deal with sexual addictions. So yeah. I, I called Marnie back. Now, you know, this hadn't been 10 minutes since I talked to her. I said, I need to register as a participant for this workshop. And she didn't laugh, and she probably did when she hung up the phone, but you know, she was really kind on the phone, and we got, you know, got me registered. Uh, a couple weeks later, I'm in Nashville, and really, life began. You know, I'm 33 years old, and life for me began. Yeah. Um, and uh, that began, you know, uh, the recovery process. And so this four-day intensive absolutely changed my life. And is that 2000? Spring of 2002, right. So that's that's the, that's the best worst. Right. You know, the best worst. Yeah. Your life totally changed that year. Life began, I'm sure life turned upside down for, for you and Holly and your mm-hmm. family in terms of the vision for your future and what you're being called to. I mean, it's a lot like Abraham. I mean, you know one life, and then all of a sudden God is saying, I, I want you to go somewhere else. And by the way, you're going to have to get a degree to go there. Oh, but by the way, you've got to <laughs> deal with your own crap before you get this degree. Good yeah. night. Steve. So there was this there was this two year period of recovery before you know the forty days of purpose event in two thousand four. And so during that two years, you know, just relationship between me and Holly was was outstanding. You know, just the be- the best we ever envisioned that it could be. Wow. Uh, and so. You know this That's this awesome. nice nice bubble uh, of time there of healing for us, mm-hmm. um, and then you know reading that book. I, I say there are two books that absolutely changed my life. Uh, one is the Prayer of Jabez, and the other is Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. Um, you know, don't send me nasty emails. Yes, yeah. the Bible has changed my life. I'm aware yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, those two books had a profound impact uh, on on how personal my walk with God has been, and uh, neat journey. Don't know that I want to repeat it again tomorrow, but it has been an incredible adventure with God. Wow. So you would say prior to 2002, you were living living a life that was sort of characterized by prison bars, by, you know, sort of you were trapped, you Absolutely. were caught. Would you say you said you were a, a, an addict at that point? I, I would say once an addict, always an addict. Uh, I was living in my addiction at that point, yeah. and you know, would use the term now, living in recovery. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I've heard you speak about. Of course, I've heard you speak to teens. You've been to talk to our youth group multiple times, but I've also heard you at youth ministry seminars and things like that. I think at national conference on youth ministry, maybe. Seven years ago, or Atlanta. Five. Yeah. yeah, it was Atlanta. That's right. It was the first time I'd heard you talk about this. You made a distinction in that presentation between, you know, sort of speaking to teenagers as if they are sexual addicts or sexually addicted, you know, and experiencing sexually addictive behaviors. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you were really careful not to say with a sixteen year old. Hey, you're, you know, yeah, yeah, you're an addict, and to say, but instead, oh, 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 you are doing the kinds of things that is consistent with someone who, yeah, okay, let's let's work on this behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember hearing that, and I really like that, that your tendency to try and say, hey, before we label a student, you know, let's talk about what it is that's bringing their life down, you know, and let's focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became that type of work became your life's goal. So as a youth pastor. I work in a congregation. I'm here in, in Brentwood. 
and I'm doing all kinds of things for my teenagers. I'm helping them learn what it says in the Bible, you know, what to do with that and on all kinds of different topics. Maybe social justice issues, you know, how to love the poor well, how to how to care about the things that break God's heart. Um, you know, how to make compassionate choices with our money. You know, there's lots of lessons that I will teach teenagers. Mm-hmm. One of them, of course, is in the area of, of becoming and being a sexually healthy person, making the right kinds of decisions, um, choosing to live, you know, the life that God has called for them with regard to sex, with regard to Internet pornography, with regard to girlfriend and boyfriend dating relationships, everything that goes along with it. That's that's all you do. I mean, that's the, that's the passion. That's the heart. Does it ever get overwhelming that this is the one thing that you're always doing or is it pretty clear that God keeps fueling that passion for you and this this calling is is yeah I think there's a renewed uh, a renewed sense of passion um, that comes frequently Um, there's also the the mix between the therapy office and the traveling and speaking and those two complement each other well I, I don't know that I would want to you know, week in, week out, be counseling with clients and not do the traveling and speaking because the traveling and speaking, uh, it, it energizes me. You know, I get to meet a lot of people, uh, you know, the fun of, of the presentations, there's a lot of laughter. We do a lot of, yeah. you know, in, interesting, to, to put it mildly, uh, activities in a presentation yes. that just keeps it fun. Uh, yes. So that, that's a nice relief from the constant, you know, focus on trauma uh, that the therapy office has. Uh, at the same time, you know, we've also expanded the scope of Ultimate Escape, and we do some presentations that are not about sexuality. The Baby Ruth presentation, yeah, yeah, for example, right. with with Baby um, Ruth is your Rottweiler. Yes, my 11-year-old Rottweiler. So about a month ago, Steve came to our church, and he said, "I think I'm, I think, I think that the teens are going to like this." I was like, "What are you doing?" He said, "Well, I'm bringing my giant Rottweiler." <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome slash dangerous. And, and Steve was like, no, not dangerous. You know, here, here's the story. So tell uh, us about Baby Ruth. Uh, you know, Baby Ruth was my Christmas present from Holly, Christmas of 2003. And, you know, she was, she was just a dog that can do a lot of, a lot of neat things and, you know, great relationship with my dog. And uh, in 2009 uh, at Impact at Lipscomb, I was asked to do a presentation on our value to God. And so on a whim, I thought, I'm going to use Baby Ruth in this presentation and kind of tell some of her story. And, you know, and there we go. And, and it worked. And, and, you know, people seemed to enjoy it. And so uh, since that time, I've incorporated yeah. her into that presentation. And, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of the presentation, uh, you know, we're designed to connect with God. But Satan, as our enemy and the father of lies, uh, plants lies in our heart. And those lies have a tendency to disconnect us from relationship with God. And how do we go about, you know, overcoming those lies or the effect of them? Mm-hmm. You know, I know in my head God loves me, but in my heart I don't feel God loves me. Yeah. And so, you know, um, just practical ways, how do we bridge the gap between the knowledge in our head and the void in our heart and use Baby Ruth as, as a fun illustration um, in the process? B- because Baby Ruth is not the same dog she, she used to be. Right, yeah. She's, um, you know, at 11, she's been through a lot, a lot of injuries, some surgeries and um she used to be really result. active really strong right. and now can barely i mean almost you, barely walk yeah I mean. you've, you've seen her she doesn't get around very well at all <laughs> and and but but you it's just so beautiful the way you say my love for this dog has not changed just because the the dog has some scars right just because the dog can't quite do what what it was that she used to do yeah. it doesn't change how you feel about it. it was really beautiful and there are lots of you so yeah i can see how these presentations do that because uh steve uses um 
a remote control car to teach. He uses cans of Dr. Pepper and, and Sprite. He uses he gets teens up drinking chocolate milk. I've got that in air quotes. <laughs> uh, he you use Play-Doh. He had this branding iron hanging over a can of Sterno for about an hour at our church on Sunday. And I, I was so excited because we've never had a can of Sterno burning on the stage <laughs> to make it a spiritual illustration. But it is. There, people were laughing. At one point, oh, this is awesome. At one point, uh, Steve brought up one of our teenagers up to the front. I don't want to give everything that you do away. If you're listening to this, you know, you're... Uh, Probably very uh, confused right now. <laughs> well, that, that's right. They, they, but don't take these illustrations and steal them. You know, call call Steve up and, and get, you know bring him in. But we'll send Baby Ruth after you. If you that's think. right. Yes, the, the, the horrific <laughs> fangs of Baby Ruth. The speed at which that dog can can amble. All right. No, Steve, you brought up this teenager and you had him put his. So he had a straw in a in a cup and he took the water in the straw up to his tongue and then you attached essentially a, an extension cord with open wires put it in the water and then you were like I'm going to go plug this in is that okay and the teen was like nah, freaking out and right. every time you would go a little closer he would you know he would detach his tongue from this water you were like what are you doing he says I didn't want to die at church during this sexual yes, presentation I, I don't want to die in sex class on Sunday morning <laughs> it's my favorite quote from the whole weekend and and it was so funny, and everybody just loved it. And so I could see how that would be really energizing for you, because during the week you're seeing clients. Now, are you right. a certified counselor or life I'm, coach? I'm not. I use the term pastoral counselor. Okay. Uh, I don't carry state licensure, so I, I, this is not under mental health services. It's under pastoral counseling. And is that intentional? Yes. And tell us why. A um, couple of reasons. Uh, number one, for the level that, at which I work, um, I've got the qualifications that I need. Uh, yeah. From a clinical standpoint, you know, I, I'm not interested in getting into the mental health treatment field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested in staying focused on the narrow area that I work with. Pastoral care. Uh, yeah. And number two, just the uh, from the political correct standpoint of dealing with the, the homosexual issue and same-sex attraction as a topic, uh, licensed people are very quickly, you know, being uh, very limited into even being able to work with somebody uh, who comes in saying, I want help with this area. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, there's no point in in getting a license and then, hey, let's say three, four years from now, all of a sudden my licensure ethic, ethical requirements are I can't work with that population. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to you have the freedom to be able to, to, you know, have conversations that you might not otherwise be able to have. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just saw Carrie Collins walk in. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, we're, we're probably not going to work him into this podcast. But, um, so tell us uh, t- t- some stories from your life, teens that you've encountered who, um, you know, that, that stand out as headed one way and ultimate escape helped help God connect them to the truth of mm-hmm. his heart, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here, here are a few that come to mind as far as quick examples. I had a teenage girl who had been to, uh, let's use the term, a very popular Christian leadership event um, that that happens once a year. And um, she had been in the hotel room of a guy. You know, something happened in her family. She was very upset. She was looking for a friend to hang out with. Right. She walked into his hotel room, and all of his family was gone. And she was in tears and just sat there, you know, crying. And uh, in that moment, uh, he ended up molesting her. Um, 
and you know it's not anything she was looking for she didn't participate in it she didn't do anything but instead of letting an adult know what happened uh, she just kept it a secret and went to school the next week and shared it with a friend and her friend said I can't believe you did that and in that statement she then internalized the responsibility and looked at it as though she had done something wrong uh, and this had been a year or two and we sat down to talk and she was just covered in guilt over this event uh, and after listening to her I, I just posed the question back uh, tell me what you did and she sat there and thought about that for I don't know maybe 30 seconds to a minute I mean she, she, yeah. there was a moment of she's thinking and there was this huge smile that broke out on her face and she said I didn't do anything mm -hmm. I said that's wow. kind of what I heard too is that this guy yeah. did some stuff but you didn't do anything I said you know what you know, what are you thinking right now and and she started verbalizing this transition yeah. of, of how she uh, encoded uh, or the context that, that she took that and so she walked away from the conversation you know feeling much lighter and recognizing you know, she had not done anything wrong uh, something wrong had been done to her uh, worked with a client uh, teen guy you know for several years he had been involved in uh, some behavior with other guys his age from a sexual standpoint uh, and just you know again a lot of guilt yeah uh, when it finally came out you know to his parents you know they brought him in for help and you know they were in the midst of some um, some difficult time because you know some of his behavior involved somebody several years younger uh, and so now the courts are involved in, in wanting to get help for everybody um, but as it as it turned out, the more we worked together, uh, the angrier he was at God. Uh, and then we were able to uncover why. You know, where's all this anger coming from? And you know, when he was about um, six years old, five or six years old, he had spent the night with a friend. Um, I guess, no, it was eight. Age eight, spent the night with a friend, and some sexual things happened between the two of them sleeping on the couch together. Um, and he had looked at that moment in his life as God put me to a test and I failed. Yeah. And he was—he hated himself, and he was really angry at God for putting him to a test like that. And so we were able to, to deal with that in a couple of sessions and, and talk about, you know, where does he, where did he get this this concept that God had put him to a test, and you know, his whole um, his whole view of God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we did some exercises that, that let him address, you know, his thoughts to God. Um, and I'd asked him, you know, pick a spot in the room that's going to represent God. So he picked out something to represent God. I said, now stand in relationship to, you know, how close to are object. You, how yeah, you know, and he's like uh, up against the wall, the opposite side of the room. And so we began, we began this exercise of talking about, you know, what, what does it feel like to stand there? Uh, what are your feelings toward God? Uh, and as we talked and, and worked through this event at age eight, uh, by the end of that session, he is like right up next to the object. Wow. Um, and, and this enormous catharsis of being able to release that anger uh, and recognize that, you know, God didn't, it wasn't God that put him to right. a test. It was another power in the universe that was at work in that, and it wasn't God. Um, and so he was able to just let go of that anger and, and you know, just a totally different young man. Uh, several weeks later in another session, his mom came in and was just talking about how different their son was. You know, he had not been like this in years. Uh, and again, that's that powerful he healing that God brings in 
that I love to watch. You know, it's not that Steve's a great counselor, it's that God does tremendous work and it's an honor and a thrill to get to watch God in process yeah. in moments like that. Man, those stories are so amazing and they just I mean they both they both speak to what I consider to be a real problem in our churches that we let students formulate their own thinking about this in the dark. You know, so there was no, there's probably no adult in that that young man's life that would have said, "You failed the test God put right. you to," but he was left to think that because we never talk about sex in our churches, or we rarely do, and and the truth is we don't really even talk about them in our homes. Many of our parents that just don't know how to go there. They're, they're they're waiting until they have to go there. They're hoping it's not their son or their daughter that's dealing with with these issues. I'll, I'll never forget what that what the boy's mom said at the end of that session uh, when we discovered what had happened at age eight. This in the session where she said we've got a different son. Right. This, you know, is this is earlier where we just discovered what happened at age yeah. eight, and I brought her into the room uh, and. and basically disclosed to her what her son had given me permission to tell her uh, and and she you know there's this hopelessness look on her face and she kind of throws her hands up in the air and she said of course I never talked to my son at age eight about sex I never dreamed I needed to talk to my son at age eight about sex and and we don't want our sons and daughters at age eight to need that and and so we hope that it that they don't you know but it's all just—it's all just quiet. Right. It's all just a sea of silence. You know. You said you said something in your presentation about silence on Sunday to parents. Um, I wonder if you could right now, for for you know most of the people listening to this are probably youth ministers or people who work with teenagers. Um, maybe there are parents listening to this. Maybe there are some even some students you know in in high school or college that may want to be youth ministers someday, who might be listening to this. Talk about. Give, can you give us three or four or two or three or five or six or whatever some tips for how to help get the conversation going, how to keep the conversation going, how to how to pro- produce openness in our lives, families, churches about sexual issues and, and things of this nature? Yeah, I would say number one, start early. Certainly by age three to four, we need to be talking openly with our children about their bodies. Um, you know, helping remove any sense of shame. You know, your body is a good thing. God made your body. God made every part of your body. Yeah. Uh, there is no part of your body that's dirty or bad. You know, there are parts of our body that are private, but they're not bad things. Yeah. We don't have to, you know, call them, you know, by little names because there's something wrong with saying their real name. Uh, and so we need to be very comfortable in saying, you know, if, if it's my if my little boy, you know, God made your nose, God made your ears, God made your penis, God made your yeah. toe, every part of you, and call it by the real name, and, and no laughing needed, and don't have to whisper the word. Um, by, by the way, that is the first time the word penis has been used <laughs> in Dimple's death. Well, no, on, on the digital side hug. Okay. So I think it's been spoken in Dimple's before. I, I, we had a men's group here that I was a part of. So I'm pretty sure it came up at one point. All right. Anyway. Um, so, so start very early, just just beginning basics about body and where babies come from. Um, the more that we get rid of this mystique around the word sex and, and the topic of sexuality, uh, the less uh, of a draw it has to our children. Because once they know the truth about it, when they know what it means, uh, there's no mystique. There's yeah. no, I, 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 oh, it's, uh, I don't know, and, and there's this forbidden sense yeah. about it. Um, 
So I want to start early, make it consistent. You know, it's not just a one-time conversation and then whew, as a parent, we're done. We did it, yeah. You know, we we do this consistently all throughout stages of development. Um, just make it normal. You know, yeah. when, when there's a, a moment, a teachable moment, seize the teachable moment. Um, you know, again, I highly recommend, you know, I've got to be comfortable with this topic as a parent because if I'm not, then my kids going to pick up on that and I'm just going to pass that discomfort on to the next yeah, generation. How can, how can they be comfortable if you're not? Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that's another, you know, work on, you know, if you've got baggage, uh, work through that. If you're not comfortable with the topic, become comfortable with the topic. Um, and so if you're a youth minister listening to this and maybe you've, maybe you're six months into your job at your congregation, it's going to be a little hard to, 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 you know, have a series of classes where you get up and teach like you're the expert on sex and sexual issues. That's when you bring somebody in. That's why you find someone. Maybe it's a trusted parent or counselor in your congregation. Maybe it's bringing some guy like Steve Holiday in from Ultimate Escape to help kickstart the conversation in your youth group to, so that you can help normalize it at church, too. You know, we're, we're wanting to normalize it not just in our homes, but also at church where... You know, we're here to celebrate the God who made sex. He made our bodies. He's the one that, that, you know, procreation is his business. And so church ought to be a place where it's normal as well. Another big thing is the permission to talk, you know, to piggyback on what you're saying right now. You know, when we make it a normal part of our conversation, then when somebody's dealing with something that they may feel shame about, um, once they're given permission, it's okay to talk about that here. It's amazing how people come out of the woodwork yeah. to then talk about stuff. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the two situations I mentioned earlier, both of those were just so covered up with secrecy. Yes. Where if there had been permission to talk or, you know, somebody had shared something along the same lines before, it's much more likely that somebody would have come out and, and shared what was going on. I, I, <laughs> I am still known... As the guy who who stood up back in 1999 or 2000 or 98, whenever it was, 15, 16 years ago, at the National Conference on Youth Ministries, and shouted pornography as the as the battle that God had won in my life, because I've you know our stories are very similar, and and I, you know I shouted at the top of my lungs when the worship leader was like, hey. If God has won a battle in your life, just shout it out. It's a room full of 400 people. And I said, pornography. You know, as loud as I could because I was so, I was just filled with joy that God in his, you know, power had had made it possible for me to begin living a new life free of some of the sort of chains that I've been bound by with regard to my sexual self. And, you know, of course, the whole room went totally silent. You could hear, you know... That's me making a cricket noise. The worship leader said, All right, anybody else? And of course, nobody said a word. And we go on to continue worshiping. But after that was over with, you know, there's this tremendous uncomfortable silence in the room. But that whole, the next two days, the number of people that found me in the hallway to say, Hey, can we talk? I think I may, I think I'm dealing with the same, you know, how'd you, first of all, how did this happen in your life? And secondly, how, how did you do that? Like, how, yeah. how are you okay talking about this? You know, it, you're right. It is. It we we just do ourselves such a disservice by making it the thing that we're afraid to talk about, or the thing that we only talk about once in a while, um, instead of making it something comfortable, yeah. natural, something normal. And reality is, if you were in a room with 400 youth ministers, um, then there were probably. 401 guys in that room who struggling with porn. Yeah, that's right. And and maybe maybe many of their wives as well. Mm-hmm. To be to be honest. So yeah, Steve, I, I, 
I tell you a lot that I'm really thankful, and I guess from the moment we met, I've been thankful for what God has done through you to help guys like me, you know, go the other direction with this in our church. I, I think we can change the course of history in our churches by talking about sex, by allowing our young people um, to, to feel like they can come and share. Uh, anything else? You said start early, be consistent. Um, Open conversation. Yeah, talk about talk, talk about, about the topic. Um, when somebody does come to us, now now what? I mean, what are what? How do we make sure that this isn't the last conversation? So Johnny comes into my office and says, "I've I've blown it." Mm-hmm. How, give us some pointers on how to make sure that this is the first of a bunch of conversations. Um, yeah, that, that's where equipping yourself as a youth leader. Uh, is is vital because if the only thing I've got is well let's pray about that mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly nothing diminishing the power of prayer uh, and and the spiritual side of that but there's so much more to the struggle than just the spiritual component and so I need to know how to address the other parts of that as well uh, and saying hey let's get together for accountability um, if the only, if accountability basically is report whether you had a good week or whether you had a problem uh, and if you had a problem, then you know this is kind of the catharsis moment of yeah. getting that that guilt Hopefully out. Hopefully, you'll do better. Yeah, you know. uh, and and you know, see, a lot of times the conversation just becomes that. You know, every every meeting is the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the same song, fiftieth verse. Yeah. Um, so I did help, it again yeah. this week. I'm going to try harder. Right. Thanks um, for asking. You know, uh, figure out what's driving the behavior. I mean, there, there's a reason behind the behavior. The behavior is fitting. It's filling a need. You know, whether it's an escape or a payoff, one of those two, uh, and, and typically it's both. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, getting something out time. of it, and it's helping me escape something that's uncomfortable. Uh, I need to be able to, to help a student work through those issues and figure out what's driving the behavior. Uh, once we know what the fuel in the tank is that's driving this, um, you're in a much better position to be able to figure out steps to get over it. Because if ultimately it's about uh, longing for acceptance, you know, that's one path versus uh, if it's all about uh, dealing with loneliness. Um, you know, th- those, are, those are two different things, and they need to be handled differently. Um, so you know, know what's driving the behavior. You know, help them work through some practical sides. Uh, what are some boundaries? You know, what are some help, you know, proactive ac- accountability mm-hmm. instead of waiting for something uh, bad to happen and then talk about how I messed up? Let me look ahead. Okay, when I go home from school this week, every day after school, and I walk into an empty house, what, what do I need to do to make that a safe yeah. moment for yeah. me? Uh, and help them think through logistically, yeah. you, know, lit- you know, literally, what do I need to do? Um, certainly help them you know, come up with a list of here people I can talk to about this besides me. You know, every youth minister, you're already, you know, your your candle's burning at both ends in three places in the middle already. You, know, you can't be there for every student who needs help. Uh, help them come up with a list. Who can they bring into their circle? Yeah. Who can they tell, you know, not peers. Right. You know, they don't want to burden somebody my age who has no more life experience than I do, mm-hmm. you know, with having to carry this. I need adults. Yeah. I need safe, trustworthy adults. Um, and who can I tell? Every time I tell my story, my shame gets cut in half. Mm-hmm. And so the more safe people I can tell, uh, the more that cuts the shame out yeah. and the more it gives me a chance to hear affirmation and to, to blow through this myth of if I tell somebody they're not going to like me, they're going to think different about me, um, 
you know, they're not going to have anything to do with me. That's the yeah. typical belief in the mind of anybody who struggles with right. sexual behavior. Right. And to find out that that's not true is, is huge. Yeah. Uh, and oh, so, yeah. You know, be one of those people in their life, but help them find other people right. who can do that as well. I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing the voice of Jim Frost now. I, I did a digital side hug with him back in March, I think. Uh, he and Jennifer Lackey and these counselors from Agape were talking mm-hmm. about this. And, and he said, you know, shame, shame doesn't happen on a desert island. Other people are required, you know. And, and in this case, a lot of times our students, it's the other people that aren't saying anything, that appear to be perfect, that aren't dealing what I'm dealing with. None of them had this problem. You know, so it's it's this imagined, you know, sort of world that they live in that helps to create this shame and and to and Jim said you know in order to combat shame you know the antidote to shame is people it requires other people to say I'm here with you you know and we're gonna get through this and I don't I love you like crazy and this is this is part of life and um, and I've been there too and we're you know etc etc so that's a that's such a great suggestion you know is a chap Clark that would say five to one you know maybe our goal could be for, for this student that walks in our room you know, what if what if, can we find ten people in our congregation, a list of ten or fifteen people that we know he or she could go to and share their lives, who we know would send that message that would just blow shame apart and keep it from strangling that student. That's great, great suggestion, Steve. You're a blessing, and I'm so thankful for you. Um, anything else we need to know or, or just tell us how do we contact you if we're interested in bringing um, Steve in from Ultimate Escape you know, email steve at ultimatescape.org uh, you can also go to our website ultimatescape.org uh, there's a contact us page and you know, form to submit there uh, by far the best way to reach me is by phone uh, 214-620-1787 I'm behind the wheel of a car probably half of my life mm-hmm. uh, and have a lot of time for a conversation hands free um, yes. hopefully uh, well maybe not but <laughs> Steve, come on <laughs> you gotta stay alive man uh, but you know that that you know the phone is with me everywhere I go yeah. and I don't sit in front of a computer very much at all say, so, say the number again 214-620-1787 um and so feel free to, to contact me. You know, obviously we would love to come you know, into uh, the, the community of the listeners here and uh, partner with you guys in a way to bring truth about sex into your, you know, the families in your church or in your community. And uh, that, that's what we exist to do is get out there and do presentations. You know, we make learning about sex both fun and memorable. Um, it's never been as comfortable talking about sex as an Ultimate Escape presentation. And, and it's uh, it's powerful. God is using you. Thank you for everything. Thanks for being Absolutely. on the podcast. Yeah. I'm going I'm to get a real hug. <laughs> and special, hey, thanks thanks to, special thanks to Dimples Deli, you know, for, for making this uh, happen in here. Uh, it's a great breakfast. And Steve, give Holly a hug for us. Will do. That'll be said thank you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, God bless you. And thanks for being thank on you. the digital side. My pleasure. All right. See you.